Toledo across from the depot on a bar stool she took off her ring I thought I'd get closer so I walked on over sat down and asked her name when the drinks finally hit her she said I'm no quitter but I finally quit living on dreams I'm hungry for laughter and here ever after I'm after whatever the other life brings cool is Shay to every single one of you thank you so much for stopping by lending me those awesome ears and making paranormal prowlers podcast part of your day those tunes are as always courtesy of the cool dude that is bobby mackey and i'm your host tessa morrow in monroe connecticut is a village known as stepney and in this village is a cemetery that was established back in 1794 known as Stepney Cemetery, located right off of Route 25 and in close proximity to Our Lady of the Rosary Chapel. There's a placard at the cemetery that gives a short history of this location, and it reads, Stepney, 1794, Birdsey's Plain and Stepney Cemetery. Noah and James Burr, Jr. donated this land for a burial ground. Over 1,400 men, women, and children are interred here including many of the area's first settlers. Veterans include Revolutionary War, War of 1812, Civil War, World War I and World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. The oldest surviving tombstone is that of Betsy Sherman, 1794, age 5 years, 10 months, and 16 days. Before this was a legit and official burial ground, there was one headstone that stood alone here for several years. Revolutionary War soldier Nathaniel Knapp was buried here back in 1787. No shocker, Knapp is believed to be one of the spirits who haunt these burial grounds. Some have claimed to have seen his full-bodied apparition. It's said that if you see him and call out his name, you will feel a hand grab your shoulder. People who visited here have experiencing apparitions of Civil War soldiers. One man is in a full military uniform and has been seen pacing back and forth among the tombstones. The most notable burials here, at least when it comes to the paranormal world, is that of Ed and Lorraine Warren. In life, they loved the cemetery and had investigated it in the past. They believed that Stepney is haunted by at least one spirit, and that is of a very well-known spirit, the White Lady Spirit. She is often at the very haunted Union Cemetery, which is just a few miles away from Stepney. I believe I've mentioned this particular spirit before in a past episode. She will travel from one cemetery to the other. Travelers have often seen her on the road. Many have had incidents with hitting a woman stopping, searching for her, and not seeing anybody there. Just one of the several encounters involved an off-duty firefighter. It was in 1993. He was driving home, ready to relax after probably a hard day of work. He was coming up on the cemetery when suddenly a woman, she just absolutely appears out of nowhere. 
And even though he tries to avoid the collision, there's no use. He hits the woman. He slams on his brakes. He jumps out of his car. He goes to help the woman. But guess what? There's no one there. Did he imagine this? No. The accident was very much real. There was an actual dent in his hood when it simply was not there before. No one knows the true identity of this woman, but there are different stories and beliefs of how she met her end. One is that she was murdered after she herself killed her husband, so someone put a hit out on her. Another is that she died while in child labor. Some believe this woman was murdered and her body was thrown into a nearby ditch. Sometime in 1990, Ed and Lorraine Warren, they come to Stepney Cemetery to investigate. They had set up cameras all throughout the burial grounds. And around 2.40 in the morning, they suddenly hear a woman weeping. <laughs> they then witness an apparition of a woman begin to slowly approach them. And as Ed tries to get just a little closer to this apparition, she vanishes before their eyes. The Warrens were quite a fascinating duo, and the amount of investigations they've conducted throughout the decades, to say impressive, is quite the understatement. I will discuss a tiny handful of their cases at the end of the episode. I found several encounters that people have shared online. One woman claimed to be visiting the cemetery and saw several apparitions of what looked to be that of Civil War soldiers. One person shared that they went there and took several pictures. Later, while looking through them, they saw what looked to be that of a woman standing far in the distance. Going through the pictures, this person realizes that, holy shit, this woman is actually getting closer and closer. With each picture, she's coming closer closer and closer, and guess what? This person who shared this account was never seen again. <gasps> totally kidding. But in all seriousness, this woman was not seen with the human eye. Just after the fact. A few years back, two friends went to do some recording, see if they could capture any evidence. They admit that during their time there, they really didn't get anything. That is, until they were leaving, their digital recorder caught a voice telling them to get out. One account caught my eye. This person shares that they were there with a friend and just walking along the pathway that's by the church when they suddenly see a figure of what looks to be a woman. She's standing at the top of the church's stairs. This woman is watching them. The witnesses believe this apparition to possibly be that of a nun as the silhouette totally resembled that she was wearing a long dress along with the shawl freaked out the friend runs off alone the stare off continues until eventually the loner runs off to catch up with the friend but first a quick turnaround only to see that this figure starts to glide down the stairs one person says that while there, they took several pictures and that in one of the pictures, it looks to be that of an apparition of a woman holding a child. Could this possibly be the White Lady of Union Cemetery and Stepney Cemetery? Remember, one of the stories is, is that she did die while giving birth to her child. Most of the sightings of this famous spirit never mention her with the baby, but who knows? 
I saw one account online from a woman who goes to burial grounds and takes photographs for historical purposes. She admits to having an eerie and unexplainable event take place at Stepney. In fact, it was so off-putting for her that this is the only cemetery in Connecticut that she refuses to step foot in. She had only been there for a short while. Things are normal. She's snapping shots here, there. Look at that crypt there. Look at that mausoleum there. Beautiful funeral statuary. Well, just a few moments really into this, she gets an extreme sense of dread that just kind of takes over her entire body. Her friend had come along with her but decided to stay in the car to catch up on some much-needed reading. At this point, she was not too far from the car, but suddenly she felt like she was a million miles away. Feeling in perfect health seconds earlier, she is now feeling sick, dizzy, and nauseous. Her friend in the car feels the urgent need to go get her friend. She doesn't know why, she can't explain it, but something isn't right. In her heart of hearts, she knows, okay, I need to go get her. And it gets weirder. This friend gets out of the car, scans the area. She doesn't see her friend anywhere. She calls her name out. So-and-so. So-and-so. No response. She walks around and continues calling for her. So-and-so. It was not until they were literally a few feet from one another that they actually saw each other. And the photographer never heard her friend calling out for her, even though the distance between them, she should have absolutely been able to hear her calls. There have been many other incidents here at Stepney that people who visit can just simply not explain or debunk. I read several accounts of people who went to visit the Warren's final resting place. Apparently, if you touch the cross that's on the headstone, it is extremely hot, even on the coldest of days. And this is in Connecticut, you guys. It could get pretty cold out there. I also read that supposedly, if you sit at the grave and pray, then touch the cross that it will be hot. Even on sunless and ice cold days, this has happened to several people. A couple of paranormal investigators were in the cemetery, and when they went to the Warrens, one of the people was overwhelmed with an intense feeling of sadness. It actually took this individual person several hours to feel like their normal self again. Many have claimed to see the apparition of Ed Warren and have caught his voice on recorder. And I kind of have a neat story to share about that. Not my own personal experience, but a friend of mine, Mark, he is good friends with their nephew and he is actually in my second book, Mark. And I'm just going to read a little chunk of that book because it's very interesting what Mark has to say when it comes to Ed Warren. So here we go. Mark had shared this with me a few years back. I never had the opportunity to meet Ed Warren. Ed passed away a little over 10 years ago. His nephew, John Zaffis, is very well known as well. So anyway, we were on this investigation at a residence and we were using the Echo Box. And I was asking some questions, and we kept getting the name Ed coming through. I look at the gentleman who lives in the house and ask him if he has a relative named Ed. He said no. He was very persistent, trying to communicate. He kept saying Ed. Then all of a sudden, another voice comes through and says, Ed, let's go. Then it was over. He stopped talking. Okay, whatever. I thought nothing of it at the time. It started becoming prevalent. 
We did more investigations, and now we are at Houghton Mansion in North Adams, Massachusetts. I am in the Masonic Temple that they have there, and it's pitch black in there. There's a few of us in there, and I'm getting Ed coming through again. My brain begins to click, and I'm starting to recognize the voice now because I had been listening to old tapes of Ed and Lorraine. I don't even know why I was, but I was. It sounds just like him. So I say, okay, are you trying to tell us something, Ed? Are you trying to assist us with the investigation here? And I get an answer, yes. I ask Ed, what is your last name? I get no answer. I ask again, Ed, what is your last name? No answer. Then I see someone standing there in the dark. I turn my flashlight on. For a split second, I see a face. It's the first time it's ever happened. Seeing a face in the darkness, in my mind, it's like, did I just see that? Did I just see that? All I can see in my mind's eye, that it was Ed Warren's face. It blew my mind. So I say, Ed, did I just see you? I get the answer, yes. I tell him, tell me your last name. Ed, what is your last name? Then I got the name, Warren, come over. I jumped up and walked out of the room and was like, hold on. I gather myself and everyone's like, what, what? Because people are not in my head, so they can't understand what I'm experiencing or thinking. I told them not to worry about it. I wasn't going to talk about it right now. He communicates for a little while that night. I must have asked the wrong question because then he shuts down again. I ask for Trudy's help. I sit back and start listening to the audio from the investigation and sure as heck, he said Ed Warren. I can't believe this. So I talked to John and I told him, John, I need to talk to you. It's very important. He tells me, give me a call. I call him and I explain to him what happened. And he tells me, Mark, you're describing my uncle to a T right now. That was his attitude. That was his personality. You are not the first person to come to me on this. And it's like, what? John recently had written a book called Demon Haunted. In the last chapter, he talks about communications with Ed and stories from other investigators. John, he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to Ed. Ed was clearly trying to get a message over to John. He wasn't paying attention. So Ed started reaching out to paranormal investigators that had a connection to John. I didn't know Ed. I didn't know what Ed had to do with the Houghton Mansion that I was investigating. Who the hell knows? But for some reason, in that place, he came through so strong. John's like, okay, kid, let's talk. And I start sharing the stuff with him. So John does an event at Houghton Mansion. We go away and do something else. We get more stuff from Ed. John was still really skeptical about it and didn't want to talk about it. We go to Gettysburg, our annual trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. John joins us. We were in the Jenny Wade house. And while there, we had a communication come through for one of the people we were with. This went on for a while. And it ended up this voice coming through was this woman who was with us, her father. She recognized his voice. He told her his name. He told her his favorite thing to do. And they had a really cool interaction for about 20 minutes, half an hour. He got his point across and that was it. There was a ton of crying. I'm going to interrupt the story to tell you another story about Ed because this ends up being one of the most memorable investigations. We leave the Jenny Wade house and we're driving about mm, 82 miles back to the town we were staying at. Right behind Little Wild Top was a turning point 
for the North in the Civil War, which led to the victor. We filmed a ton of activity there, so we're heading back, and on the way back, I'm in the car with a couple of friends, and we're followed by some other friends. We're talking, we're laughing, we're having a great time. In my head, I put, like, little breadcrumbs, and I remember looking up and seeing a landmark, and I remember thinking, okay, great, we're going past here, and then we'll be past the barbecue place, then we're a few doors beyond that. So we're passing this, and then the next thing I know, I hear in the car, in the back of the car, three loud knocks. I thought it was just something falling over in the trunk. I didn't even look at anybody, but I asked if anybody else heard that, and I just assumed something was rattling around in the trunk. The next thing we remember is that we were in the middle of nowhere. We're getting on an on-ramp to get back onto the highway. It's like, where the hell are we? Everybody was like, what happened? I'm looking at them like, how did we get here? We lost five minutes. We're past where we were supposed to stay. We lost like five minutes of time. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. We were getting back on a highway. I had to turn the GPS on to know where I was and get us back to where we needed to go. The car behind me calls and says, what are we doing over here? How did we get here? I told them, I have no idea. We lost five minutes of time somewhere. For the life of me, I cannot remember it. It's one of the most, it's one of those things that I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it myself. So we get back to the house. The others are like, okay, what took you so long? And I said, okay, you've got to sit down for this. I told them the story. As I'm telling them what happened, this woman, Jen, stands up and says, get the fuck out. And I ask, what? And she says, Mark, Mark, you were in here talking with John. And I heard off the door of the barn house three knocks. We walked over to open the door. And the others ask her what she's doing. And she replies, what? You guys didn't just hear those three knocks? They say yes. She says she assumed it was Mark and the others. So she was going to you know, go to the door or let them in, thinking we forgot our key. Knock, knock, knock. She opens the door. Nobody's there. We had three knocks in the car. Knock, knock, knock. They had three knocks at the farmhouse at the same time. We lost five minutes of time somewhere. I don't know how to explain this. It's the weirdest crap I have ever seen. I'm always at a loss of words. I can't imagine what happened. I don't think I was abducted by aliens. I just don't understand where that time went. It's the craziest thing. Anyways, we get back to the house. After we calm down, things settle down. John looks at me and says, okay, let's do it. And I ask, do what? And he says, let's talk to Ed. And I say, okay. And I ask him if he's ready. And he is. I brought out the Echo Vox. It didn't take long before Ed came through. John looked at me and said, that's his voice. That's Ed's voice, Mark. Well, no kidding, John. Do you believe us now? He had the most amazing back and forth conversation. There were things that John asked that only Ed could answer. He jumped at one point and said, you're blowing my freaking mind and walked out of the room. We finish up that night. Our weekend had come to an end and we leave. We always have a great time here in Gettysburg. We stay in contact with John. I was going to investigate in Rhode Island and John asks if I'm still going to Rhode Island and I tell him yes and he says, okay, meet me in Mystic, Connecticut. 
okay, if John says meet him somewhere, then we meet him. We meet him in Mystic, and he takes us to this cool little cemetery, and we start using the Echo Vox in there. We weren't necessarily trying to get through to Ed at this point. We're just trying to get stuff from that cemetery. And sure enough, Ed, he comes through again. I can't really go into everything that was said that day, but there was quite a lot that was said back and forth to John from Ed. Only John would know some of it. When I reviewed the audio back with John and read the stuff I wrote down, it was one after another where it was like, only Ed would know this. So there's more that he talks about regarding Ed Warren, but you just might have to get the book to find out what else it says. <laughs> but in all seriousness, that's really cool. That to me is mind blowing. Just all these things coming together. You know, it's neat when you're doing an investigation and a piece fits into that paranormal puzzle as it can get pretty tricky at times. So Ed, he passes in 2006 while Lorraine left in more recent times back in 2019, finally being reunited with her beloved Ed. On their marker, it reads, Sunday morning, always, their hearts were full of spring. Another engraving reads, Defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. While on the topic of the Warrens, I thought that I would discuss some of their cases. This is just a mere tiny handful out of the countless cases that they have conducted throughout the decades. So most of us have seen the movie Haunting in Connecticut, where a family moves out of state and into Connecticut to be closer to the hospital where their son is being treated for cancer. They don't move into your typical home sweet home. Upon moving into the house, the family experience unexplainable and terrifying things, only to find out after buying the house, they were not told this information, that it was not a house at all, but a former funeral home. The basement even still housed some of the embalming equipment and body tags with names on them. Lights would turn on, even when there were no bulbs. The water would change from clear to an intense blood red. I believe that they were unable to figure out what or who was behind the source of the haunting, but the Warrens did do this case. The Donovan Family Ghost. While at this haunted location and during their investigation, the Warrens witnessed incredibly loud pounding sounds coming from within the home's walls. And like the haunting in Connecticut, the water was coming out in this color of blood red. They also kept hearing this horrendous, beastly sound that kept echoing throughout the house. It was finally revealed during the investigation that the Donovan's youngest child, their daughter, makes a chilling confession. I used a Ouija board to reach out to a boy who died in our neighborhood like 10 years ago. No big deal. 
very big deal. I added the no big deal part, of course, but Ed and Lorraine knew this was no innocent child, but believed it to be some type of demonic entity that was disguising itself as the deceased child. Amityville, who doesn't know about this heartbreaking case? The man, he sits at the table in the dark room. There sitting in front of him is his thirty-five Marlin rifle. Normally, if you saw this man on the streets, you would smile, perhaps wave. Not now. The look in his eyes, shark eyes. If you saw him now, you would lock your doors. He stands up, grabs the rifle, and like a predator hunting its prey, he slowly creeps up the stairs. The hunt is on. He stands in the doorway of mom and dad's room, aims, and fires. He calmly walks to the next room, aims, and fires. He continues this until every single person in the house, besides himself, is dead. Amityville, what a horrific massacre. Ronald DeFeo Jr. walks into a bar and yells, You gotta help me, I think my mother and father are shot. A friend of Ronald's calls the police, they get there expecting to find Louise and Ronald Sr. injured, possibly deceased. But the scene that they come upon is absolutely gut-wrenching, unbearable. Not only are Louise and Ronald shot and killed, but so is the entire family. Don, Allison, Mark, and John, ages ranging from 9 years old to 18. The whole DeFeo family wiped out, all except for the sole survivor, Ronald DeFeo Jr. He admits to the senseless murders, mind you, but claims that these evil, malevolent voices in his head told him, no, scratch that, demanded him to murder his entire family. He pleads insanity. But it seemed pretty planned out. He even tried to cover his ass with an alibi. He was at the bar. He kept going out of his way for people to see him calling home. He's the concerned son and sibling. He's trying to reach out. Why is nobody answering the phone? I'm very, like, upset about this. I'm going to go check out what's happening. He leaves and comes back a short time later to say that his parents had been shot. He was cold and he was calculating. He without a doubt knew exactly what he was doing that night when he brutally murdered his entire family. I'm surprised he didn't shoot the family dog, too, while he was at it. Fido, come here, boy. Mm-hmm, I don't think so. Insane or not, he thankfully spent the rest of his life incarcerated, and actually he just died last year, back in March. So, sayonara, sucker. Good riddance. After the murders, the family moves in, and it doesn't take too long for them to realize that something is terribly wrong with their new home, and they're only there for 28 days. One creepy thing that would occur is the man of the house would wake up every single morning at 3.15, and this is believed to be the time that Ronald went on his shooting frenzy. The family experienced many weird things, smelling horrible odors and seeing things as well, including a pig with red eyes. Furniture was levitating. Just so much more going on there for sure. Ed and Lorraine, they go and try to find answers and a resolution for the family. And, and during this investigation, they find out that this property 
was once home to a practicing black magician who had requested to be buried here. And guess what? Here he lies eternally. Some call bullshit on the hauntings at this location, which is fine to each their own. Whether you believe it or not, the hard cold truth is that six people lost their lives there that night. Yep, you heard right. The Warrens went to England to investigate a case about a man, Bill Ramsey. It was believed that this poor gentleman was possessed by a demon that was disguising himself as a wolf. One day, as a young boy, he's playing in the backyard when out of nowhere he suddenly feels this freezing coldness overtake his entire body. This intrusive odor suddenly overwhelms his nostrils. The young child suddenly has the strength of a full-grown man, and then some. So much so that he is able to uproot a fence while gnawing on the wire. This seems like one weird incident, one that cannot be explained. He is incident-free for several years. Fast forward, and now he's a grown man himself. He's married, he has children, three, I believe. In the early years of the marriage, Bill starts to have these horrible nightmares. It's always the same. He and his wife are walking. She's a few steps in front of him. She turns around, looks at his face, and she screams and runs away. He would always wake up in a cold sweat, even on the hottest of nights. This went on for over a year and a half, and at times he would wake up to hear a loud panting sound, <sighs> only to find that it was him who was making that sound. He becomes aggressive. No one is safe. He has attacked the police, and in one case, he even attacked a dear friend. Soon he is back to normal and stays that way for about 15 years. What a relief to him. 15 years of no weird shit happening. That is, until one night. When he is at a local pub with some friends and enjoying some nice cold beverages, suddenly he shivers. No, no, no. Yes, it's happening again. Soon his body is feeling that all-too-familiar icy cold feeling, the beginning. So he excuses himself and heads to the restroom. He tries to compose himself, but he can't. He takes a deep breath and looks into the mirror, only to see not his reflection at all, but that of a werewolf. On the way home, he starts to become irritated and aggressive. He growls and his friends think, okay, he's messing around, this jokester. But he lunges towards one of his friends and bites him. This was quick as his friend pulls the car over and they get Bill out of the car. He was back to his old loving self again. Again, there's nothing for a chunk of time. This time, 18 months. One day he feels off. He's ill and thinks he may be having a heart attack or some other type of episode. He checks himself into a local hospital and during his stay here, things turn violent when he bites a nurse. Witnesses, they describe the scene. Bill had hunched his shoulders and both hands had curled into talons or claws and bared whips like a rabid animal. He had a superhuman strength and it took several people and a tranquilizer to finally overpower Bill. Well, a couple of months later, he felt another attack coming. They seemed to be coming sooner and sooner. And he checks himself into the same hospital. He attacks an orderly. 
Four police officers happen to be there and surround him. He's snarling and growling and lunging like a desperate animal that's cornered. He attacks, fighting back. One of the officers is badly injured and finds himself having to be hospitalized. More incidents follow. The case is known as the South End Werewolf, and this gets the attention of Ed and Lorraine, who travel to London, where they are convinced that this poor man is possessed, and talk him into coming with them to the United States to their church in Connecticut, where he can have an exorcism by their own specialist, Bishop Robert McKenna. His wife and him make the trip. The night before the exorcism was to occur, Bill attempts to strangle his wife while in bed asleep. During the exorcism of Bill, his face begins to contort. His hands were said to form claws. He was ravenous. McKenna demands the demon to leave at once. And to date, that we know of, he has had no further incidents. But unfortunately, there were times where it was dormant for several years. In one case, I believe the first time was 15 years. So, I mean, who knows? But I'm hoping he's able to live a peaceful life and say goodbye to the werewolf for good. The Warrens also helped with the West Point haunting. The military academy officers, they started to complain about ghosts moving items around. And this entity was later identified as Greer. They believed the spirit responsible was a man named Lawrence Greer, a Buffalo soldier who went from soldier to murderer and decided to stick around West Point. In England, they also investigated the Borley Church that has to do with the nun being executed for having an affair with a monk. But that's for a future episode, so I won't go more into that at the moment. I mean, again, you guys, this is, is just a tiny handful out of their countless cases. Hundreds, probably thousands of cases. Ed and Lorraine Warren will forever be a part of the paranormal world. And may the both of them rest in peace eternally at Stempney Cemetery, a place they enjoyed visiting, investigating, and now where they are eternally. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. Just head on over to any of those podcast platforms such as Owl Tell, CastBox, Player FM, Podcast Republic, Spotify. Wherever you may roam to hear your other spine-tingling podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Hamilton Township, New Jersey, Riverton, Wyoming, Yarrington, Nevada, Okotoks, Canada, and Adel, Iowa. You guys, thank you. As always, it's extremely appreciated for taking time out of your day to listen to Paranormal Prowlers podcast awesomely appreciated want to talk all things spooky throw an email my way at paraprow at gmail.com and we will see you next week